This is Igris, and I am starting this Igris year. Actually, wasn't going to start this way, but I have to. I'm starting by announcing that we now have 1,000 listens. We've reached the 1,000 mark on the podcast. I think that's pretty cool. This is a this is not our thousandth episode, but it is our thousandth listen. Uh, we are looking at a letter today from Trilas Elul. Doesn't have a date on it, so it could be exactly 50 years ago. This is from the beginning of Elul of Tavshin Lamed Gimel, 50 years ago. The letter is Yud Tav Tav Tzadik Beis, and it has a very strange hayraf from the Rebbe, a very strange instruction that the Rebbe gave somebody. So strange that below the line they try to explain themselves, and there is a Loy Lefarsim, which always makes me a little nervous. It does say right here not to publicize this. Akapan Le'esata. Um, and it's not Leisata 50 years later. It's published in Igris Kedish. I figure we can publicize it. But this letter does say, do not publicize this. So that is a, a warning for us learning this letter, that this is not a Hera Lerabim, right? Because the devil would want to pierce some of the Hera Lerabim. So this is a Hera to just one individual. That is important to note. However, we're going to then use it to dive into a bigger discussion of the Rebbe's actual shit on the matter. So the letter, without any further ado, is about visiting the Kotel, visiting the Western Mall. Look down here first, just to get the context. This is written to Binyamin Shachat, and uh, he wanted to visit Beis Chayenu. He wanted to visit 770. He wanted to see the Rebbe with his family in the year of Hakel. The Rebbe says back to him, He was living in Eretz Yisrael. The Rebbe says, I do not want you to leave Eretz Yisrael. There's no Indian to, uh, to rush to leave Israel to visit me. So the Rebbe does not want him to visit from Eretz Yisrael with his family. The Rebbe says further, point two, Ein Kedai. It's inappropriate to come visit me specifically because you're asking in a shnas hakel, an year of hakel. It would be kedai for your wife and for the children; they should live long. So the Rebbe is saying, instead of visiting me, what I would prefer you do instead is take your wife and children down to the kotel and say psukim that have to do with hakel on chalamayid sukkis by the kotel. Now, this could be taken as a Hiralabim, right? People could read this and say that Minig Chabad is in the year of Hakel to go down to the Kotel on Cholomayd Sukkis and to save Sukkim by the Kotel. But then the Rebbe says in three, I don't want this publicized. So this is not a Minig Chabad as far as I know to go down to the Kotel specifically on Cholomayd Sukkis and say Sukkim by it. But the Rebbe is using it as a substitute for visiting him. If we look below the line, Ravolf has a little more context from the way that he remembers the story. He says in his diaries, the Rebbe told their son Binyamin that he should, uh, that instead of visiting the Rebbe, he should instead visit the Kesel, once during Slichus and once during Cholomayd Sukkis. And uh, the Farsim goes on the Hayra to visit the Kesel on Cholomayd Sukkis. So what we have here is somebody writes to the Rebbe saying they very badly want to visit him. And the Rebbe says, I have an alternative for you. I don't want you to visit me. Instead, go visit the Kotel. This could lead us to possibly believe that the Rebbe sees visiting the Kotel as analogous, as similar, as powerful, like visiting the Rebbe himself. Now, that would be very strange. The reason why that would be most strange is that, at least in the Chabad culture, I never heard mention of the of the Kotel as being a significant thing. There's a Medrash that says that the Shechina never left it. We know that it's historically and emotionally significant to the Jewish people, but I don't think most of us who, who grew up around Chabad heard a lot about the Kotel. This is something that they talk about in other circles. We barely talk about it. We don't, certainly, it's not on our tefillin bags. It's not on our parechas, usually. We don't talk about the Kotel very much, and other groups do. So uh, based on this letter, I wanted to jump into a larger discussion of how seriously Chabad takes the Kotel, whether we normally say that it rises to the level of visiting a Rebbe, rises to the level of Mechemis Kedeshim. Put another way, if a person has a choice of visiting the Oil, visiting 770, or visiting uh, or visiting the Kotel, or visiting Mars and Machpela, are, are these equal things? Are these similar things? Are there priorities? That's what we're looking at today. And for that... I have some letters on your screen. We're going to go back in time significantly to a letter from the Rebbe Rashab 
The Rebbe Rashab mentions the Kotel Amaravi. He mentions it when he's talking to Menucha Rachel. Now, I had to look up the dates because in my head, the Rebbe Rashab was born after Rebbe Menucha Rachel died. But they actually overlapped by 28 years. So the Rebbe Rashab would have been 28 years old uh, at maximum, would have been 28 years old when he wrote this letter because when he was 28, Menucha Rachel died. Menucha Rachel, of course, is the daughter of the Mitle Rebbe who went to settle Eretz Yisrael. She went to live in Hebron and she began the Chabad presence in modern Eretz Yisrael. Okay. So Igras Rashab wasn't really modern, it was long before then. Igras Rashab, volume one, page four. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Rebbe Rashab writes to Rebbe Semenu Chorachal, he says, no, please. When you do visit Yerushalayim, because she lived in Hebron, he says, please, Davin, by the Western Wall. And also by Kivrei Tzadikim. And please mention us for Teva, uh, for, uh, for, for all sorts of good, and for Ruchnias uh, and Gashmas. So the Rebbe Rashab asks Rebbe Tzimenuch to daven for him and his family at the Kotel, which certainly does give a certain primacy to the Kotel that I might not have expected. We have several letters from the Friedrich Rebbe that discuss the Kotel. One is in volume two, page 421. This one's just a quick one where he talks about its significance, the Rebbe Shalom Bracha, and he says, I was very happy to receive your letter. I was very happy to hear that you all mentioned us by the Kesel Maravi. I was happy to hear that you daven for us by the Western Wall. Now, that's to be fair, the Friedrich Rebbe might just be being nice. Somebody writes to you saying, I daven for you by the Kesel. You write back, thank you for davening for me by the Kesel. But the fact that he mentions it specifically, I think might suggest that the Friedrich Rebbe puts some value in prayers that happen by the Kesel. This is really interesting. I don't know exactly what to do with this. This is in uh, Igris Fri, the Kadeba, volume four, page 228. He's preparing a special gift and a special letter for a big donor who had helped the cause in Russia shortly after the joint pulled out, which is something we have a whole separate Igris share on. So there was a donor who was still keeping activities alive there, and the Friedrich Rebbe wanted a very special gift made for him, and he sends a letter out saying that he wants somebody who really knows how to write nicely to write a real poetic thank you letter and to have people in Eretz Yisrael. He writes this to Shlomo Zevin, actually, and he wants people in Eretz Yisrael, different Rabbonim, to sign the letter to show that they all appreciate the support of this donor, and then to wrap it up in a pretty package with tablets on it. Now read what he wants on the tablets. Then take this letter, and I want you to wrap it up tightly in a very nice, ba- in a very nice uh, package. Hagav shall er tev and a tevlin, tevel, te, I don't know what that, tablin, a tablin, there we go. This should be in a, um, it should have a covering of leather, and there should be like tablets on it. And on the tablets, yihu shnei these tablets should be both made of olive wood. And on one tablet, it should be a picture of the Kesel Amaravi, and on one tablet, there should be a picture of Maras Machpelah. So these are images that the Friedrich Rebbe was comfortable conjuring in his name. I think that this could uh, this could almost justify, perhaps even directly justify, a practice of putting these images on a parechas, of putting these images on a, a tefillin bag. The Friedrich Rebbe doesn't seem to have a problem with conjuring these images, although we don't see it much in Chabad. He put it on a package that had his name attached to it, specifically wanted an image of the Kotel on one and an image of the uh, of the Samachpela on the other. Something we discussed last time we discussed the uh, the Kotel in this shir is that the Friedrich Rebbe visited Eretz Yisrael in 1929 and he visited the Kaisal Maravi. And although he wasn't the specific cause, Chas V'Shalom, of the Hebron massacre and the riots that took place in 1929, Yidin visiting the Kotel was, B'dathachten, at least the cause of, these, of cause of the massacre. If you were to ask the terrorists why they were murdering Jewish children, <clears throat> they would say that it's because they set up seats and chairs by the Western Wall. They considered this an unreasonable encroachment on their territory. So the Arabs massacred a bunch of women and children, and men, of course, too, in 1929 in Hebron. And it was in response to people davening by the Kotel. That same year, shortly before the Hebron massacre, the Friedrich Rebbe visited the Kotel and davened by the Western Wall. He davened Mincha there, he said Tillam, and he kissed 
the Kotel, which is something, again, that you don't necessarily always see as something we talk about in Chabad. I don't know if, uh, I think a lot of us might go to the Kotel and wonder if you're allowed to kiss the rocks. The Freelik could have a kiss the rocks and cried on the rocks, and he describes this in a letter, a heart-wrenching letter, to his daughter, the Rebbe Chaya Moshka, in volume 15, page 59. We'll read some of the lines from that letter. He says, Loi li agmas nefesh. She writes to him saying, I'm worried about your health. You're traveling a lot. You just went to Eretz Israel. You're not healthy, and you're and you're overworking yourself. He says, uh, there was a good deal of agmas nefesh in the trip. It was not an easy trip. He, he said, got the hard made. I really pushed myself. I worked hard. I cried seriously about the fall of our Lubavitch. The Rebbe had already been kicked out of, had to move from his hometown. I kissed the stones of the case of Maravi, but Enigmaramatuk with a, with a, uh, it's such a strange phrase, Enigmaramatuk, with a joy that was bitter and sweet, a bittersweet joy. There we go, a bittersweet joy. At the Kotal, I mentioned all of our family members, that they should have with mercy and with grace. And there at the Kotal, I daven before Hashem and Mechemis Akadeshim in all of those holy places. For every single one of the individuals, that we won't embarrass the names of our of our holy forefathers. While I was in Eretz Yisrael, I never slept more than two hours, he says. I used every second. I was worried about every second. And the letter goes on. But basically, he says, I really did overwork myself when I was in Eretz Yisrael. I used the time there. And just, I think this is an important letter to illustrate our behavior around the Kotel. The Freelik Rebbe does not visit the Kotel and take a look and go, ah, that's interesting. He goes up to the stones. He cries on the stones. He davens for his family on the stones with a bittersweet uh, a bittersweet, uh, what? Einig maramatok, a bittersweet joy. I don't know what that feels like, but the Friedrich Rebbe describes it. Okay, so the Rebbeim are certainly not saying that the Kotel is not to be prioritized. We have the uh, Rebbe Rashab asking Menuch Racha to daven there for his family. We have the Friedrich Rebbe using the image of it, thanking people for davening for him there, and himself going there to daven with tears. Let's look at how the Rebbe handles the Kotel. This first letter is the least exciting of our letters, but I wanted to point it out to you. Somebody was a person who, uh, I don't know who this was, Amesha Tzvi Halevi. I don't know if it says down here who he is. Segel. I didn't look up his history. I'm sure he's very important. Anyway, the Rebbe says in this letter that uh, I guess the person wrote to him saying that he might be might be better for him to engage in a different activity on Metziyam Kippur, but his tradition for years had been to be the person who blows Shefar on Metziyam Kippur by the Kotel. And the Rebbe says, definitely don't stop doing that. So the Rebbe says down here in Bayes, it should be simple. I'm surprised you'd even ask the following question. Therefore, I'm writing it specifically because uh, I'm surprised even by the question. Do not give up your good custom and your incredible merit, the greatest merit, of blowing the shefer on Metziyam Kippur next to the Kesa Maravi. Happy is your portion that you merited that. The Rebbe seems to feel that this is such an incredible honor to get to blow the shefer by the Kesa, that this is not something you could even ask about potentially giving up. This next letter, I think we're going to read the whole thing because it's a very powerful one. This is about somebody who reached the age of bar mitzvah. When he went for his bar mitzvah, he put on coat, he put on his tefillin for the first time by the kessel. So the Rebbe writes this. This is letter uh, Tess, Tav Mem Tess. It's from the year Tav Shen Chavches. This is very shortly, this is one year after the liberation of the Kotel. The Kotel was liberated, I believe, in, uh, in Chav Zion, right? Uh, the the, uh, the Zionists in the room can uh, can correct me. I think it was Chav Zion. So this is like a year after liberation of the Kotel. A Jewish boy puts on his tefillin by the Kotel in Chavches. It would be what, 68? 68. 68. 
It's an incredible merit that you got to put on your tefillin next to the kaisel. It's not just that it's going to leave an impression on you like every good deed does. You're going to be keeping this mitzvah every single day. You're also going to keep the mitzvah of loving your neighbor. So you can encourage others to put on tefillin. This should give you a special merit that goes on for a very long time. I, uh, I'm not sure that we have to read the whole letter. I think the main point that I wanted was that one. I don't think there's a mention in the second paragraph. Yeah, let's keep it just to that for now. Okay, so he says it's an incredible merit that you got to put on tefillin by the Kaisal Maravi, and the fact that you put on tefillin by the Kaisal Maravi should instill in you uh, in, in a lifelong passion for tefillin, a lifelong passion for helping other you to put on tefillin. So the Rebbe so far has talked about the incredible schools of Schaefer by the Kaisel and Tfilin by the Kaisel. Over here, we have, I have my notes here. Let's talk about Tillim by the Kaisel. Going to the Kaisel, let's say Tillim. This is a really interesting letter. This is a letter to uh, to try to encourage people to not allow, it's a Mihu Yehudi thing. So they wanted to allow people to convert incorrectly to Yiddishkeit, to use a reform of conservative conversions, and then to join the Jewish people and to move to Eretz Yisrael. The Rebbe was very worried about this. It was one of his main inyanim, one of his main battlefronts, if you will, was Mihu Yehudi. I want to read this top paragraph, even though it's not shy to us, because it's so interesting. He says, He says, I want you to speak in the shul on Tishabav, and if that's impossible, at least on Shabbos Nachamu, because that's a Nechama on inyanit Tishabav, that allowing non-Jews to become Jews using a gerus, using a conversion that is not halachic, and uh, and telling them then that they're Jewish in in proper and non-halachic conversions. Shame Gai Kaldish, allowing them into the holy nation, which is similar to the base of Mikdash. Madkish Zikarn in Tishabav is just like Tishabav. That when we allow somebody who did not convert properly to enter the, to enter the Jewish people, it's like something that happened on Tishabav. What specifically? Knisas Gayim the base of Mikdash Kipshutai. On Tishabav, non Jews walked into the base of Mikdash. And he said, when you allow people to convert to Judaism improperly, you're taking a Goy because he's still a Goy, he didn't convert. And you're allowing him to enter the holy Jewish people without doing a proper conversion. So the Rebbe says this is an Indian of Tishabav. Very similar to what happened on Tishba. We mourn that every single year and that we should mourn this every single year that they're allowing non-religious conversions to take place. Anyway, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, the Rebbe is pushing very hard different initiatives to help prevent this terrible gazera of the Israeli government allowing non-proper converts into uh, into Eretz Israel as Jews. And then one of the things that Rebbe asks is, I want people going to the Western Wall. If possible. I want a 24-hour watch over the course of Tishabav by the Kaisel, and that is Limana Tera Mias Tilam and Mutarim Tishabav Kamuvan, that they should be learning Torah that's allowed on Tishabav and saying Tilam in a way that's allowed on Tishabav next to the Kotel the entire Tishabav for 24 hours. She's Khafumashas Hades, the Rebbe has a little bit of mercy on us. He says they can switch out and take shifts so that it won't damage their health, that they're going to be there the full 24 hours. But the Rebbe asked that year that there should be a 24 hour watch by the Kotel of people saying Tilam, showing I think that the Rebbe considers it a Mukam Kodesh at the very least, that he's treating it the same way we would treat any other one of the Mechemis the same way that people go to Kivrei Tzadikim, the Rebbe is sending people to the Kotel, specifically to Davin, for a, against a terrible Gezeira that shouldn't happen to the Jewish people, a terrible decree against us. One more, and this is a letter that we looked at last time, but I want to bring it up again. This is a letter that we looked at like six or seven months ago. It's also from our volume. It's from the Yertavshin Lamed Gimel. So this was 50 years ago, but this was, uh, I don't know, an other, right? An other. Somebody writes to the Rebbe that they're visiting the Kotel and they expect to get a pat on the back, and they do not get that from the Rebbe. The Rebbe says, you told me that you daven by the Kotel. And the Rebbe is not necessarily proud. The Rebbe says, Kotel Zeh. 
make sure that when you visit the Western Wall, it's not that you're davening next to a historical site. It can't be something that just mentions the past. It also has to have an effect on your present and future. You have to live a life that fits what the Kotel is supposed to be reminding you of. So the Rebbe is not at all content with people using the Kotel as a historical place. I saw a letter that I'm not bringing right now, but if you ask me for it, I'll send it to you, where the Rebbe goes into more detail of this, about how anybody who sees the Kotel as a historical place is something that Rebbe is not comfortable with at all. It's not history, it's present, it's future, and that uh, the Kotel is a holy place, but it is not to be used as a historical place. It's to be used as a present and a future that inspires us to be better Yidden. We have a letter from volume 31. The reason why it's over here and not over there on the screen is because, as I mentioned to you, ChabadLibrary.com, and I'm really hoping somebody from that website will hear this podcast and fix this for us, has not put any letters up after our year. So anything that's from volume 28 onward, we've got to go to, it's a Chachman take screenshots. Okay, so Igris Kedish, volume 31, page 92. The Rebbe writes about how he wants people to visit Eretz Yisrael and how he wants people to visit the Kaisel. This is for anybody planning a trip pretty soon. This is your moment. Hey, since everything is Bashgachapratis, and if something's happening to you, God wants you to see it, the following appears to be the case to me. You've turned to me into something that's not really my business. So this is just a fun introduction. The Rebbe says, you mentioned something in passing. I know it's none of my business, but since you mentioned it to me, it's that I have to mention something to you. And here the Rebbe talks. Everybody agrees that the Holy Land is the Holy Land. Ask a non-Jew, what is Israel? They'll call it the Holy Land. It's something everybody agrees on, that it's holy. Move on. This is not because there are people buried there. It's not because of the cemeteries in Eretz Israel. What makes Eretz Israel a holy land? It has in it, I guess, it's a living Kedusha of the Beis HaMikdash. The Kedusha, the holiness of Eretz Yisrael, is a living one, not a dead one. It's not because of the graves there, it's because of the living holiness of the Beis HaMikdash is there. And the Rebbe says specifically, what gives Eretz Yisrael its holiness? I've never seen anything like this anywhere. The Rebbe says, what specifically gives Eretz Yisrael its holiness? Specifically, the wall of tears, which is the Western Wall. That that is the thing that confers modern holiness on Eretz Yisrael, because the base of Megdish isn't there. So what do we have that's giving Kedusha to the Eretz HaKedush, the Rebbe says? The Western Wall. That's the source of it. It says it's not the Kvarim, and it sure isn't the base of Megdash, it's the Kaisal Marabi. And everything else there that's in Eretz Yisrael that people visit, all these other special places, they mention, they remind us of the fact that there is a current holiness in Eretz Yisrael called the Kotel HaMarabi which is just an incredible praise of the Kaisal, giving an idea of just how important this area is. Now, the Rebbe says, Therefore, the main outcome of desire to visit the land of Israel must be that it should inspire you to live a life every single day in the spirit of that Kedusha, uh, every place that you find yourself when you return back to America, when you're in a, when you're in a, what's that, the UK? Yeah. When I, the, the most important thing is you have to live a life according to God's command. He says specifically that the uh, heir of Eretz Yisrael should be brought back into your home every single life and every single day should be lived according to Torah and that you should live according to the Shulchan Aruch. So the Rebbe's message here is that there's no such thing as tourism. We don't visit Eretz Yisrael because we want to see Eretz Yisrael. We want to see the holy places. It's because we want to be holier people. We visit Eretz Yisrael and then we we breathe in the air of Israel, we, ex- we inhale in Israel, and we exhale back into our homes and bring that holiness back with us. And if not, no point in visiting. There's no point in visiting Eretz Yisrael if it's not supposed to make you into a better Jew. And what a better Jew looks like is someone who keeps the Jewish law. 
I want to mention a few things that I'm not going to bring on the page, just as an aside, and then we'll finish for the, for today. Uh, a few things that are not in letters or that in letters, but we're only going to mention in passing. One is that uh, the Rebbe was personally involved in setting up the Tefillin stand at the Kotel immediately after the Six-Day War. This isn't an Igris, as far as I know, but it is a letter from Maskiris, where the Rebbe writes to the Hasidim in Yerushalayim or in the area and says to them, I would like a permanent stand set up there. He actually suggests the printing of the Shema cards. This is the Rebbe's idea to print Shema Yisrael and the Brachas on nice laminated cards. And the Rebbe establishes the stand almost immediately after we win the Six-Day War and get the Kotel back. So this is one of the Rebbe's projects, the very successful Tefillin stand by the Kotel. Another thing I want to mention is that we've talked a few times about over the summer of 1973, the summer of our year that we're learning, that Rebbe kept pushing Chinuch initiatives, he used the Lush and Lash Pisayev, Misnakem, that uh, we needed to somehow defeat some enemy nobody knew what he was talking about. The Rebbe says in a Sikha that he himself did not know what he was talking about, but that some sort of Ruach HaKedish inspired him to say that we needed children to be learning and davening to help destroy an enemy. And shortly after the shortly after the new year, on Yom Kippur, the Yom Kippur War was launched, and the Rebbe says in Asicha that the reason why it was said that we saw such miracles during the Yom Kippur War was because of this preemptive measure to have children davening all throughout the summer. Part of that was that in the summer of 1973, the Rebbe did at one point call the Chassidim in Eretz Yisrael, or the Maskirus called Chassidim in Eretz Yisrael, and asked them to bring children to the Kotel and have them daven specifically at that place in the merit of what would eventually be the winning of the Yom Kippur War. The other thing that I want to point out, because it's cool history that I don't think anybody knows, most people don't know it, I'm sure some people know it, but certainly I, I, I never knew anything like this. The Rebbe had a series of letters with a Rabbi Getz. Rabbi Getz was the Rav of the Kotel up until 1995. Uh, and he was the he was the Rav there. And the Rebbe writes a few things to him. Two things that I think are really interesting for us. Uh, one is that Rabbi Getz was very much involved in the Kotel excavations and digging the tunnels and trying to find things underneath. The Rebbe was very against it. The Rebbe says, Pale of Iker, the most important thing here is that I'm hoping you'll send me good news that you have completely ceased this digging underneath the base of Mikdash, that tunnels even in a way that's going to serve the base of Mikdash, even in a way that's going to help out or help sustain the wall. The Rebbe did not want any digging under the Kotel. And he asked Rabbi Getz to stop it. As far as I know, Rabbi Getz did not stop it. Uh, as far as I know, Rabbi Getz was one of the main people involved in it. But in any case, he writes this to Rabbi Getz of the Kotel. The other thing that he says to him that's so interesting is that he thanks Rabbi Getz very much for setting up signs declaring that there needs to be tznias by the Kotel, that there needs to be mechitzas by the Kotel, that there needs to be rules by the Kotel, that the Kotel is not a place that anybody can just go and pray. It's a place that has, a place that has to be treated with Kedusha. He sends the Rebbe the various uh, warnings and signs he put out. And the Rebbe says, thank you, thank you for sending me these warnings and for putting them up in the first place. The Rebbe wants the Kotel to be a place that is uh, that is holy for davening. And if you know what goes on in modern politics, you know just how important this particular letter is. So in summary, let's sum everything up. Uh, in our letter today, the Rebbe suggests visiting the Kotel as a possible replacement for visiting him personally. He says that this is not a letter that he wants publicized. This is not a Hira but it does give us an idea of the supremacy of the Kotel that the Rebbe, at least in one case, saw the Kotel as a reasonable substitute for visiting him, at least in the year of Hakel. And that's definitely an emphasis we're not used to seeing in the Chabad. But the truth is, when we look back, we found that it was actually a pretty old appreciation for the Kotel. Uh, we have the Medrash, of course, that says the Shina never left the Kesel Maravi, but we also have the Rebbe Rashab telling uh, Rebbe Tzimenuch Rachel to please daven for him and his family there. The Fridic Rebbe invoking its image in a few letters and on his own visit, visit in his, on his own visit, leaning on the Kotel and uh, kissing it and crying on it and begging for a for mercy for his family from Hashem. We have the Rebbe emphasizing its importance as a place to daven, to do mitzvahs, and also elevating it, I think, as a pretty special place in several letters, including that one letter where he told us that the entire Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael comes not from the graves there, but from the Kotel specifically. The Rebbe is also, however, careful in all of his letters to remind us that it can't just be a historical site, that a lot of people are not doing Kotel properly, that it needs to be something that inspires us in our day-to-day -day lives. Okay, that's it. That is the Rebbe on the Kotel.
Questions, comments, complaints? Talking that Isn't there something talk. along the lines that uh, all the tefillas goes up through the Maras um, uh, Machvela? Yep. So there was a conversation with the Lullaver Rebbe at the time. Um, I think Rebbe Shmuel was his name. Something with a shin. It was the Lullaver Rebbe at the time, or maybe a relative Lullaver Rebbe. There's a recorded conversation. That's how we know. It's printed in the Sikhas as a recorded conversation between the two of them. And the Rebbe asked him that there's a steer. The Mitle Rebbe says that tefillahs go up through uh, through the Maras Machpela. And uh, and the Medrash says to the Kotel, I might have gotten it backwards. It might be that the Mitle Rebbe says the Kotel and the Medrash says the Maras Machpela. Either way, there seems to be a steer between something the Mitle Rebbe says and what the Kotel says. The Lullaver Rebbe responded to the Rebbe and said, um, and said maybe it's that that was back then. That back then it used to go up through the Kotel, and nowadays it goes up through Maris Machpelah. And the Rebbe said that can't be because the halacha is that if you're living in America, you daven toward Yerushalayim. If you're living in Eretz Yisrael, you daven toward Yerushalayim. If you're living in Yerushalayim, you daven toward the Kotel. So it must be prayers still go up that way. So it can't be that it was just back then. And so then given the Rebbe then said, perhaps that it stops at Maris Machpelah, and then only after that goes to the Kotel Maravi, and then it goes up. So that was the Rebbe's, uh, that's what you're thinking of. Yeah, it's a, it's a conversation. I think it's the opposite, but oh yeah, okay. Did I get an opposite? Very possible. I think, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not totally possible, it's the opposite. Whatever. He says the, the, Rebbe's, uh, the Rebbe's compromise is that it stops at both. I don't remember where it goes last. Totally could be. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I do I, I do remember and uh, that there's the, it, there are those that argue on in, in general whether the Klesan Laravi has anything to do with the Beis HaMikdash at all. Now, those that say it really has, if you look at the physical geography, topography, and all that kind of stuff of the people, the scholars who really understand the build of the Beis HaMikdash and how it was and where it was, there's a very good chance that the Klesan Laravi has zero significance to the Beis HaMikdash. Um, in what realm? In what is it similar to this concept that you know when people see it as a holy place, therefore it gives it some sort of kedusha? I don't think we can say that based on the Rebbe's letters, because the Rebbe, for example, in this letter that I have on the screen right now, it says He says that the shchina never left that particular kaisa maravi. He says that the thing that's giving Eretz Yisrael kedusha right now is the existence of the kaisa maravi. And in a lot of letters, the Rebbe very much, uh, very much attaches the kaisa to the base of Mikdash. Uh, for example, in this letter here, where he says the highest Kedusha space in Mikdash nowadays is only in the case of Maravi. So uh, any any excavations notwithstanding, the Rebbe Shita is very clear. The Rebbe Shita is definitely that the Kedusha is inherent to the Kedusha because of the base of Mikdash.